welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And I'm joined uh, this week by Clarissa Ramon from Google Fiber. And uh, it's, uh, they're an internet provider here in the San Antonio area. If uh, they're not available in your neighborhood right now, go on their website, put in your zip code and your address and stuff, and then they'll figure out uh, which neighborhood to roll out to next, uh, somewhat based on uh, that demand, but on many more things that we'll talk about here on uh, kind of how Google decided to start an internet business and much more. If you'll be able to stick with us, uh, that's great. You can listen uh, on 1200 WAI on your AM radio or uh, via the iHeartRadio streaming app uh, on your iOS, Android device, or in your web browser. Um, and then you'll also be able to check out this program and all of our past episodes, uh, this will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, uh, November the 19th. And uh, if uh, you want to talk to the show about anything, you're free to uh, reach out to us on uh, Facebook and Twitter from a social media perspective. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like, and uh, what uh, you would like to hear from future guests. Uh, so with that opening, uh, Clarissa, thank you for joining us today. Hello, thank you so much for having me as a guest. Okay, so w one of the, the areas I just like to dive into with guests a whole bunch of the time. So you, you work for Google, but sort of Google at this point, and I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, the company restructuring, but Google Fiber is the name of the, the division that you work for. Correct. And as we were kind of talking before, um, for those that aren't aware, Google is is a company as that part of Alphabet. Um, so, like, really, if you go to the stock market stuff now and you look up, even though the stock ticker symbol is still G O O G, the company's name is really Alphabet now. So it's got Google, and then it's got some other businesses it's running. And Google Fiber is one of those, even though you share the Google name. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So we're what is considered another bet. Okay. Um, uh, access, and this is a division that deals with sort of all things. Um, internet to the home. So did that include the, the loon balloons then? Is that in access? You know, that's a great question. I'm, um, I believe so, but I actually need to, to double check where loon sits. I okay. know that that's still project the, you're talking about the hot air balloons, right? Yeah, Delivering yeah, Wi-Fi service to rural areas. Yeah. And yeah. emergency zones and all sorts of different things. And I think this is, is one of the, the cool things about Google is there's a lot of innovation going on, new mm -hmm. businesses. Um, and some of them, are, are focused on on really improving access and equity for everybody out here. And for regular listeners to the program, uh, I just had uh, Jordana Barton on from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, San Antonio branch, where we, we talked all about um, the internet um, and a number of homes that have high-speed internet access in the San Antonio area and kind of a lot of the research that the Federal Reserve Bank does uh, around this is they're looking at the economic impacts of um, internet and the lack of internet access. So if you wanted to hear more nerdy financial details around that stuff, uh, check out our archives. Uh, we're also out on all the podcasting apps out there. So if you have a favorite one, um, check us out. And if your favorite podcasting app does not have CyberTalk Radio in there, uh, let us know. We will fix that and we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. There are two ways to get a t-shirt is find a podcasting app where we are not listed um, or become a guest on the program. So um, if you do see folks with the CyberTalk Radio t-shirt out here, they've either helped broaden our distribution or they've uh, come on the air to talk about the the things that they know. So um, with with the Google Fiber, did it start back before the whole Alphabet thing? It did. It did. It did. Okay, so it's been Way around before. since when? 
It has been around uh, officially, I would say, since, let's see, it's been about eight years since Kansas City has been a full-fledged market. Okay. Um, it originally started as an idea uh, by the founders of Google, right? So Sergey Brin and Larry Page, um, who took a look at some uh, comments that were actually going to be filed at the Federal Communications Commission around um, the National Broadband Plan and the status the sort of state of broadband in the country and said, this is not great. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we're a big company. What can we do to sort of infuse a solution sort of via competition um, into this marketplace? Like, uh, what is our responsibility to this? And could we invest in a fiber network and provide Internet service to re directly to residents? And that was essentially the idea behind Google Fiber. Uh, they put out a call for proposals in terms of markets who were interested in being the first Google Fiber market. They said, we haven't done this before, but we're looking for a municipality to, to sort of test this rollout in. Um, about a thousand cities applied to be that first city. Yeah. A thousand cities that said, uh, yes, we would like competition. Yes, you can come to our market. Um, and out of all of those applicants, uh, Kansas City was selected to be the first city. So that is the market now that we have a sort of the we've completely built out in terms of our footprint. We have the most customers um, and it sort of provided the most information in terms of uh, where we are going as a business. Yeah. So. And then it, a few years later, you came to San Antonio. Correct. So in between when Kansas City sort of became a full fledged market and leadership said, OK, we're going to continue to invest in this. There is something here. Uh, it's not perfect. Right. We've learned a lot of lessons yeah. uh, as a tech sort of software company getting into an infrastructure. D yeah, digging business. holes in the ground. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is incredibly disruptive and not disruptive in sort of like the Silicon Valley move fast and break things. It's disruptive in like, oh, my God, we've hit a sewer line <laughs> or a water yeah. main. And, you know, instead of unlike products, you know, that get rolled out where that really only impact the users who who use them. Um infrastructure projects can affect everyone, anyone yeah. in sort of a close radius. So uh, despite those sort of lessons, you know, they decided to implement them and scale out. You know, they they saw that there was definitely a need, um, which, again, I think was demonstrated by the over a thousand applicants that, um, you know, the sort of state of broadband, the state of connectivity in the United States stands to be improved. And we have a unique regulatory structure that um, really sort of pushes us in one direction and, and sort of places a lot of the responsibility on the private sector, on internet service providers to to do something about it. So uh, they got into the business and between Kansas City and San Antonio launched about uh, nine to 10 markets, including Austin, Texas, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Atlanta, Georgia, and um, officially announced their commitment to San Antonio in August of 2015. Okay. And and so you're also in Austin. Uh, are you in any other cities in Texas? No, these are the only two markets in Texas. Okay. Yeah, Austin and San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And and then, uh, so you, you've kind of gone up to these these 10 markets or 11 mm -hmm. markets mm -hmm. now. So with the, what was the, the last market you rolled out as the the 11th? Or was San Antonio? Uh, San Antonio was the, the most recent. Oh, yeah. number 11. Okay. We did. Yeah, we actually, you know, we, we made it in is kind of the way I describe it to folks um, before essentially there was a pivot away from scale right yeah. to that of all right let's 
let's pause here for a moment. We've got a lot of work going on in a lot of different places. Uh, let's perfect our business model before we sort of restart the engines again and look at other markets. Yeah. yeah. So, so in San Antonio mm -hmm. right now, uh, kind of where are you at on a rollout and then what's going on? Yeah. So, um, We've, as I mentioned, we officially announced to San Antonio uh, we're coming in August of 2015. There was a, some anticipation there. Um, and between since 2015, essentially that uh, local team got rocking and rolling on engineering, designing and engineering um, our network, our footprint in San Antonio. Construction officially started in 2016, and we connected our first Google Fiber customer in November of 2017. So just to give you an idea, I know that sounds like a long timeline. No, um, not, a, not coming but, from this guy in the phone yeah. company world. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, you, you know, your background, I think you, you understand maybe more so than the average consumer. Yeah. Um, you know, who sees maybe, you know, understood from the media that Google Fiber was an exciting development. You know, there was buzz around our announcement and then sort of like not. Yeah. A lot of activity from a customer perspective, you know. So, um, but we are an infrastructure. We're yeah. in the business of infrastructure. We're a construction project first and foremost. Um, I go to a lot of um, neighborhood association meetings and I usually start off by saying, uh, you know, I used to jump right in to yeah. Google Fiber and these are our products and this is what we're going to do and it's very exciting. And at the end, people would be like, so it's internet. <laughs> yes. So I really uh, learned to sort of start from scratch and say, you know, who's heard of Google? You know, lots of people raise their hands and yeah. then talk about the story that I just told in terms of why, um, you know, this tech company decided to get into the telecom industry, essentially. Yeah. And so a couple of things I think worth clarifying, you know, for your audience, you already know these, but uh, know this. But, um, you know, we don't use any other provider's infrastructure, right? We are building our own end-to-end -end fiber network, which uh, aside from being expensive, uh, can be a bit disruptive, it's complicated right? It's too. complicated, yeah. So we, it takes a, a heavy level of coordination uh, with the city, um, with the SAWS, with CPS, to just ensure that, you know, we are, uh, that we, you know, we have everything we need to actually dig, <laughs> lay fiber in the ground or connect to utility poles. And so it took a bit of time, right, yeah. to, to get our backbone in the ground to then be able to figure out what our last mile solution was to then get to customers. Yeah, because uh, San Antonio, we, I mean, we just celebrated our 300th birthday. Right. And 300 years ago, no one was thinking about running conduit to pull fiber. Um, right. So uh, many of the things in San Antonio were built way before the city realized, you know what, we should ask all of these folks when they're doing construction projects to put conduit down as a, a shared resource that's going to be available to multiple people to go do these things in the future. That stuff does not exist here. Right. I mean, and when you think about other sort of our legacy communication platform is, you know, little more than a hundred years old right yeah. so this is if you think of like the level and the speed of innovation the speed at which it's happened it's, it's all happened pretty fast i would say and you know obviously i think there are decisions maybe as policymakers or as industry might have made differently if we would have known like you know utility poles could become an eyesore after a few decades and wouldn't yeah. it be nice to sort of everything was underground but uh the cost of that not only is you know financial it's it, it, it's confusing for people right especially if you live in a neighborhood for a while and you see your streets torn up and people tell you it's for internet and maybe you don't use the internet or you don't want the internet or you don't want the disruption and so uh balancing sort of those views has been part of our you know 
part of what we've been trying to do here and part of our work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I mean, it's tricky. Um, yeah, because in many of the places in San Antonio, there's not even underground internet. You're probably getting your internet off of one of those utility poles, and right. it's coming either from a, an existing phone company or mm-hmm. um, one of the uh, competitive local exchange carriers. I'm going to use a nerdy um, in-industry yeah. word. So there's the incumbent local exchange carrier here who was Southwestern Bell, if you go back in the day or if you go way back AT&T before mm-hmm. they broke it up into multiple phone companies, which is now AT&T again. Right. Um, and that's a whole separate story you can go read about on Wikipedia. Um, but then there's competitive local exchange carriers in this area. So like you may have uh, Grande or a Guadalupe Valley Telephone or some of the others that um, have put infrastructure in place over time. But most of those folks don't have stuff underneath ground in a lot of cases. It's they're, they're figuring out how to get access to those same utility poles and stringing things. Or you've got the, then the cable companies who were delivering TV via coax cable. And now they're delivering TV and Internet. And maybe you're getting your your TV service via those folks now over uh, an internet connection uh, from them and you're streaming uh, that television. And so, yeah, things have changed a ton over the last 20 years um, and cities are slow to evolve. Um, And that's good and bad in both ways. as you, if you, you rush in the wrong direction, then it can be expensive to get yourself back out. But if you um, aren't making steps forward in a lot of areas, then you end up where we are now. And I think as, as most folks think, and if you listen to the recent episode with uh, Jordana Barton from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, um, one in three, roughly, um, households here in San Antonio don't have access to high-speed internet. Um, and high speed really like the definition of that has changed somewhat over time as well. So it started off of like when we moved from dial up modem to DSL. And so like if you could get a kind of a basic DSL connection, that was considered high speed 20 years ago. That's not considered high speed anymore because if you're trying to do things um, like even say you, you had a, a child at home and they were going to try to get some um, how-to on a science project or a math lesson and they were going to use YouTube or um, Khan Academy or something else to stream that that lesson in the that video, not going to work real well over a low-speed, at this point, DSL connection. So you really need uh, higher speed to be able to benefit from all the good of the internet and to b- provide equal educational access to all of these families. I mean, to those listening to this program, especially if you're uh, listening via the iHeartRadio streaming app uh, or if you're listening uh, on a podcast on the replay, um, you probably take Internet access for granted. But imagine the, either you as a, a teenager um, or you as a, a parent of kids in school, if you don't have a computer at home and you don't have Internet access at home, how hard it would be to do your homework or how hard would it be for your kids to do homework? And I think this is one of the things that, that Google was really looking to solve. This is Brett's perspective on this, but um, uh, you may or may not be able to take that stance. But I mean, it's like if you've got one in three households here um, in San Antonio that aren't using the Internet at home um, from the other side of Google's business, they can't be a customer of y'all's. Right. So that is sort of the short answer in terms of, uh, you know, why digital inclusion is important and obviously is not the whole story. And um, taking a bit of a step back, you know, the FCC defines broadband um, as 25 megs up and down. And so, you know, that's not necessarily a standard that always existed to your point in terms of what is considered high speed, what's considered sufficient. Um, and so we use that 25 meg up and down as sort of a baseline. And when it comes to the data around, you know, what the digital divide looks like in San Antonio, who's online, who's not, uh, there are different sources. Um, I've heard, you know, the one in three, the one in four, you know, according to a, a report from the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, we rank 
you know, 35 in terms of worst connected cities. Yeah. Number, I think we number rank one dead being, last in the top 25 metros. Right. And, and you know, up to 17, I think, and, and according to some other studies. So um, I think it a little bit varies on your source there. Uh, you know, the FCC obviously has connectivity data at a national level. Um, we sort of use the American Consumer Survey as, you know, our, our source of truth. But, um, you know, the at the end regardless of sort of what your your source is or how you look at this, there is a divide in San Antonio. There is a divide in, in this country, right, between urban and rural areas. And so part of our part of the challenge in, in being in this industry is figuring out strategies and partnerships to reach folks on, on the other side of that divide, right? Yeah. I, I think, you know, you mentioned for folks that might be listening to this podcast, you know, or in the technology field, um, it, it's those folks are low-hanging fruit you know we say google fiber and lots of times it might already be on our mailing list or customers already um but i you know i talk to a lot of folks i I go to you know several neighborhood association meetings and um there's not there's there's still a lot of questions there's still a lot of um um i would say just at, you know, folks that just really are not super familiar with the state of the Internet, what it means, how it's built, how it works. Um, and so part of my role is to tell that story right, yeah. and connect those dots. No, and this is I think it, it's it's always an interesting one of like stuff that you're inside your own industry and inside mm-hmm. your own bubble that you, you take for granted. It's like everyone understands what the Internet is, how important it is for them from a, an educational perspective, a workforce okay. participation, a continuing education, a, all of these things. And that and as we continue this conversation, I mean, back to these stats, is that one out of three households here, if we just peanut butter blend the total population, I mean, that means 700,000 people roughly mm-hmm. in the San Antonio area do not have high-speed internet at home. Right. Um, and I mean, that's just a huge impact for uh, the, the economic productivity, which is why someone like the Federal Reserve studies this stuff. And, you know, just to touch on that, you know, that statistic, it may sound daunting or, you know, like unrealistic. I actually still have conversations. You know, I've been in this role for, for almost five years and there are still folks who you could present that statistic to and say they'll, they'll react. The reaction will be, that's not true. Or you're telling me yeah. that folks today don't have Internet because maybe they live in an area where, to your point, um, it might be taken for granted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I want to say something about those households, too, is that there is a lot of research around what the barriers are. So there has been um, studies on what exactly is preventing folks from uh, adopting the Internet. Uh, the top three barriers, I, I believe Jordana might have touched on these, but, um, you know, cost obviously yeah. affordability all consistently sort of ranks number one is it cost prohibitive to pay for an internet connection uh we know that the industry trend obviously is to push customers towards bundles which maybe they may not necessarily need um and uh lack of a device so an affordable yeah. device right uh maybe not yeah, having the internet a does not do you any good without a computer correct correct um or and then finally you get to like the digital literacy digital skills right yeah. maybe i have a device but i'm not fully leveraging its potential yeah. um because my skills have, are, have just not been polished right I, I don't have an email account i don't pay my bills online it's i maybe have concerns around privacy or you know maybe for elderly populations that feel like they're gonna break it <laughs> you yeah. know they're gonna break their computer or break their device so um when it comes to again reaching those folks we've we've got to figure out 
um, how we can help address those barriers to, to, to get them over on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's good news is um, if you're listening to this program, there's a bunch of stuff out there to help you. So like from the, the senior citizen perspective, if you're worried about going online and getting hacked, uh, we've had uh, Diane Quayer on, who's a, a nonprofit that she runs uh, called OATS um, that is rolling out um, literacy and cybersecurity awareness training to um, our senior citizen population uh, at a bunch of San Antonio library branches. Um, and they'll bring the training to other facilities as well. If you want to check them out, you can go um, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com, provided you have internet. Um, hopefully, at least have it on a mobile device. And uh, and you can get to a, a basic website and go check out what uh, Nian there had said about that. And uh, we're, So we've got a lot of things going that's working on chipping these things away. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Um, if you don't have a computer, there's not a lot of point in having an internet access. So um, from affordability, it's not just, even if you gave someone free internet, if they can't afford to buy a computer to plug into the free internet, not so useful. That's exactly right. Um, I'm, You know, we, in 2016, um, to your point exactly, um, we figured that out, <laughs> essentially. So uh, former Secretary of HUD, you know, the Housing and Urban Development Department, our former mayor, Julian Castro, um, launched a program called Connect Home. Yeah. And essentially, uh, the focus of that program was to help address the digital divide and within public housing authorities, yeah. right, across markets. So San Antonio was selected to be part of that program. And different internet service providers and solutions sort of came to the table to say, okay, we'll we'll help connect residents, but we need to figure out the partnerships for the other piece. So for example, in Austin, uh, Google Fiber has provided free internet connection to various housing authorities. But in conjunction with local organizations such as Austin Freenet that help provide the training on site and then other partners that provided refurbished devices. And so yeah. we we figure, you know, you couldn't just provide the connectivity. That's just one sort of piece of the puzzle. Who are the other local partners that can come to the table to solve those other pieces? And and I think in San Antonio, we definitely have a, a strong landscape of those partners. To your point, you mentioned OATS. I don't think that there's necessarily a shortage of partners. Um, my uh, read on it essentially is that we we need a plan, right? As what is the strategic plan? How are you fitting all of these elements together to make sure that they're meeting the people who actually need the services? And I think that's where we are right now from like a sort of policymaking perspective. For listeners out there as well, um, with your school districts, if you're involved in um, talking with school districts or schools um, about providing a one-to-one -one device, especially for the, the kids in high school, and then allowing those uh, students to take that device home. And this will kind of level the playing field for all high school students. I don't think we can solve providing devices to everybody uh, in the entire city, uh, but I think if we can solve that at the high school student level, we're going to improve graduation rates, um, improve tech literacy for those coming out of high school, um, and in a lot of cases, I mean, and maybe even providing a first device at home for uh, many families would be that high school student's device. So. Uh, I think this is one to continue to encourage. It's uh, tricky for districts. It's a little bit of a challenge, but I think it's one that if we can uh, get them to, to help us there, it will help their students on an attainment perspective and help us as a, a city um, in a, a sustainable way uh, breach uh, one of the big pieces of that, that digital divide that we have going today. One of the, the items I always like to uh, hit on and share with, with listeners is uh, how did you find your way into tech? And we're going to save that one for after uh, we get back from our, our bottom of the hour break here. Uh, so if, if you want to hear, uh, did Clarissa start at, at age six dreaming about working for Google? Uh, she will let us know here when we come back after the break. Uh, so 
while I, I look through our show notes here, uh, some of the other stuff uh, to talk about in the second half of the program, uh, libraries without borders. So mm-hmm. give us a, a kind of 30 seconds on this now here as we, we head into wrap up and we'll elaborate more uh, after that news traffic and weather update. Sure. So we recently launched a partnership with an international organization called Libraries Without Borders. Uh, They launched an initiative called Wash and Learn, where they bring digital learning kiosks and resources to laundromats. They have this program in uh, about eight other markets. And uh, Google Fiber leadership were very impressed with the outcomes and figured that San Antonio would be a great place to try and, and, and pilot this. So San Antonio is the first Texas market that they've expanded into and essentially is to meet people. The goal of the program is to meet people where they're at, right? Sort of outside of those traditional uh, digital inclusion um, yeah. you know, places like libraries or schools. Sounds good. So you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, uh, and I'm uh, discussing uh, Internet uh, with the lead for Google Fiber uh, on government and community affairs uh, here in San Antonio. Uh, We will be back uh, to figure out how she uh, found her way into the technology industry and uh, kind of much more about uh, what Google's been working on uh, with their fiber uh, division here uh, in the San Antonio area. Back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And uh, this week, uh, we're talking about Google Fiber in San Antonio, and I'm joined by Clarissa Ramon, the Government and Community Affairs Manager uh, for Google Fiber here. If you uh, just turned your radio on right now, uh, this program started at the uh, the top of the hour. Uh, we uh, covered uh, some of when did Google get here for their fiber internet access and how do they roll out. Uh, you can listen to that up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, November 19th. It'll also... Uh, go up on the uh, iHeartRadio archives and it'll go up on all the different podcasting apps all across the internet. So if you kind of wanted to hear the first half of the program, you can do that there. And if you uh, stuck with us through that bottom of the hour break, but we'll need to uh, leave before we wrap the program up, uh, you'll also be able to listen to the the rest of this segment where we're going to talk a little bit about a Wash and learn. We did talk about that for just a moment before the start of the break. But we're going to begin this segment uh, talking uh, about how did you found your way uh, into working for Google. So a lot of our, our listeners out here uh, might be on a Cyber Patriot team in high school, and they might be thinking, you know what, I want to work in tech. Uh, so uh, a career at Google is something that many folks dream about. Um, how did you you find your way there? Yeah. So um, to start at the beginning, uh, you know, I'm from San Antonio, grew up here, uh, graduated. From St. Mary's University, um, about ten years ago. And you majored ago. in computer science. <laughs> I did not, not major. Oh, okay. I majored in a different science, a political science. Okay. Which not as technical, um, but I was very interested in public policy. And to clarify to your point, it w- I didn't start out thinking I would work in technology or a tech company like Google. I was hyper interested, hyper focused in public policy. I thought yeah. I would work in government. Um, I developed an interest in public policy, I would say, from an early age. Uh, You know, my parents met as my father's an immigrant. My parents met as migrant workers. Uh, They throughout their, you know, life here in Texas, they experienced, you know, discrimination 
And, you know, the the older you get, you start to realize that not everybody starts from the same place. Not everybody has access to the same level of resources. And you start to wonder why. And I think public policy is a one of the ways to get at the why, right? Yes. And uh, not only get at the why, but also help develop solutions. So, um, but at the same time, I'm also a community college kid. I did my first two years at Northwest Vista College. I, you know, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do sort of with the rest of my life. And actually today, to clarify, I'm still not super sure what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, but at that moment, I, I, that was my path, right? It was something to do with, with public policy. So after college, I worked for a time at a nonprofit that currently or facility that doesn't exist anymore, but it was in the what's now known as the Guadalupe Cultural Arts District on the inner west side of San Antonio. There was a, a computer lab there. It was also functioned as a coffee shop. Well, it was a coffee shop that had free computer Ooh, access, correct. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, you really, I really started to understand it contextualized for me sort of the fact that okay, not only do certain parts of San Antonio lack access to uh, various resources, but internet is one of them. And, you know, I thought then in today's day and age how, how difficult and challenging it might be to, to function, to, to get to the services that you might need to get to or do the work you needed to do without a stable connection. So uh, that, I think, would say um, ignited a bit of an interest in technology. I've always been interested in technology. You know, we were talking during the break about, you know, the early days of the internet. Yes. Um, my parents were... I wouldn't call them technically savvy. My dad's in the construction industry. My mom's now retired, but she was in education. Um, so even though they did not have a technical background or work in a tech, the tech industry, tech field, I think they had a, they followed their instincts and understood that as the internet was growing, that it would be really important to our education. And it was. So I think I consider myself very fortunate that um, we were, I consider myself an early adopter, right? They, they prioritized having a computer in, in the house, um, not using it themselves. My mom yeah. still actually types on a typewriter. Um, so there, you know, there's a bit of a digital, uh, you know, divide at home. At for our sure. own home. Yeah. But, uh, but to that point, you know, I, you, you start to take things for granted. And, you know, growing up, getting into college, filling out applications, you know, doing the FAFSA, all the things I was able to sort of do with ease. Yeah. Um, after college, really understanding that that is not the case for a lot of folks. And and uh, what my education is and time in St. Mary's, it sort of validated that. And you started to understand sort of the broader um, landscape of San Antonio, right? Which now I think has really come to the forefront around just how economically segregated the city is and the history of that and the impact that it continues to have today. So yeah, um, there's lots of good reading out there on that. But if you the, the super short version, if you, you want to go back and look at the history of the property deeds here in San Antonio, um, back in the day, it used to be legal to discriminate based on, on race or religion or other things in a deed. So you could make it to where a house couldn't be sold to a Latino. The house couldn't be sold to a mixed race couple. The house right. couldn't be sold to someone who was uh, not a Catholic. I mean, you could write anything you wanted in a deed restriction and um, they call it redlining and you create districts and areas where certain populations aren't allowed to move and live. Right. And, um, and, we're, and it's terrible. And the environment we're in now is a product of that, right? Yeah. We are not disconnected from those decisions, even though they were made early on. And, the, and know, then they were made century. illegal quite a while ago. So even if that's on a deed today, 
uh, if you go back on an older property, mm-hmm. um, that none of those things are enforceable anymore, but it still doesn't undo the history. The impact, right? It doesn't undo um, what wasn't sort of allowed, what was prohibited from being invested in in certain areas, right? Who got access to what? It has impacts on the value of properties, which feeds into uh, the quality of a school district. So all these things are compounded. Uh, you know, you can live in a city like San Antonio and move a few miles away into a school district that will sort of, you know, fundamentally boost your chances of graduation. You yeah. know, and for me, uh, you know, when you start to really understand that, that's a very wild <laughs> sort of environment to, to, to live in. So um, sort of long story short, after college and after my time there, um, I moved to Washington, D.C., uh, thanks to a fellowship called the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute, uh, which is essentially a program that was founded by uh, the Latino members of Congress to develop a pipeline for folks of Latino descent to really get involved at public policymaking at the federal level. So I was accepted into this fellowship, moved to D.C. It was actually my first time visiting the city was the moment I moved there. And I worked for a time for our former congressman from San Antonio, Charlie Gonzalez. And so that was a good opportunity. It essentially, you know, brings folks in all year round, either through internship programs or through the recent grad fellowship program to sort of demonstrate like this is how the sausage is made, right? So yeah. you have this sort of academic understanding of how policy is made. Now this is this is sort of it in action. Um, after the fellowship ended, I had some decisions to make about whether or not I wanted to uh, stay in DC or come back to San Antonio. And I knew I wanted to sort of develop expertise, right? So you can, uh, the path sort of after the fellowship are, you can stay sort of on the hill and be a generalist, work for a member and have your fingers in sort of a lot of different issues or whatever issues a member is a a part of. Um, But I really wanted to just, I wanted to learn more about a specific subject. And I wanted to focus on an area where I felt like um, folks from my community were underrepresented and for me that was technology and I was uh, lucky enough to get a position with a nonprofit called Public Knowledge and that's I would I would say that was the moment my career in technology began that sort of created the path to Google for me yeah so um, Public Knowledge is um, in a field that some folks might not be familiar with maybe outside the beltway it's a public interest tech it's a consumer advocacy organization Um, When you think about some of the products or business practices that the private sector and telecom or technology rolls out, uh, the reaction to that usually comes from organizations that represent communities and consumers, right? So um, in this role, I advocated um, in Congress and at the FCC around just bringing that perspective to the table, right? This is how data caps affect consumers. This is net, this is the argument in net neutrality for reclassification. Yeah. And so uh, I really credit my time at this organization with uh, clarifying my interest in technology, but also giving me, I think, a lot of um, just the baseline education. They give me a crash course in all things sort of telecom and technology and, and sort of the policy field. And so after a few years there, uh, I was actually approached by someone um, on the fiber team who I known I'd known from a previous presentation that uh, Google Fiber was considering San Antonio at that point. In 2014, uh, San Antonio was sort of on the map with an asterisk as a potential. Yeah. There was a lot of those uh, potential markets. 
And I threw my hat in the ring. You know, I I thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to not only come back to my hometown, uh, but to work for a company, you know, at the time I figured was doing a really tremendous thing, which is we're working to actually invest in access and move the needle in a very fundamental way, and that's through infrastructure. Yeah. So uh, that that was my personal path to Google. I you know it's actually one of my favorite questions to ask folks in the business and come from all places and sort of all directions. Um, for those students, I would say that you know are listening right now, I I would really encourage all. All students, not maybe those just interested in maybe cybersecurity or technology, to not discount uh, a future in technology maybe just because they aren't uh, technically savvy or you know interested in majoring in STEM. We were chatting about this earlier. You know, all of these companies require all sorts of roles and all sorts of functions, and what they're looking for is really the best and the brightest. And so I think if students uh, focus on that and 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 doing their best, then I I would not. I think I, I really do think that that the sky is the limit in terms of what it, it just takes a matter. I think of of even applying and looking in that direction for yeah. for some folks. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah. across every industry, like if you want to work in healthcare, you don't have to actually major in biology. And become a doctor right. or a nurse or a nurse practitioner or any of the rest of that. Healthcare uh, businesses have marketing departments. They have uh, communications departments. They have public policy departments. They have all of these things. So if you have a, a passion for an industry, but you don't feel like you have the the desire to be in kind of the, the product creation in that category, it doesn't mean you can't work in that industry. Right. And another thing I tell students, especially from, you know, underrepresented communities, Lots of times you grow up developing skills that you might not consider are relevant to the technology industry, but I, I, I believe are. So, for example, if you're bilingual, <laughs> you have a capacity to learn another language and you should absolutely look at coding. Yes. Um, if you grew up with parents who maybe are not native English speakers and you grew up from an early age translating for them, and you can you grew up translating complex subjects. You could probably be a program manager. It is, you know, you've been sort of trained from that from an early age and sort of so on and so forth. Right. And you bring a perspective that I will say is really needed right now in this industry, um, you know, in informing the types of products and policies that are developed, right? Because I think more often than not, there are not enough folks at the table who come from backgrounds or communities that um, are are sort of the decision makers, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, so and so don't we, don't discount that experience. It's also valuable. Yeah, we've seen all sorts of you want to go out there and, and use your favorite search engine and look for um, AI machine learning training gone wrong. Uh, you'll see that that folks have built these homogenized data sets and then trained models on these things. So um, that like they can't um, they only think from one worldview, one perspective. So you might have an, a, a facial recognition software that can only identify the, the faces of white men, um, which like this has happened and they will not identify anything else as a person. I mean, bad training and things gone awry like that. And if you don't have a, a broad set of perspectives and someone asking the, the, the harder questions and thinking about some of this stuff, then we, we won't avoid some more of these blunders out there. So, right. um, yeah, get involved and don't be afraid to speak up for sure. So, uh, as, as we were uh, so talking a little bit before the break, and I think one of kind of the, the fundamental reasons uh, that Google started Google Fiber back in the day was like you're the Google co-founders going why doesn't everyone have access to high-speed internet and 
So this Libraries Without Borders and Wash and Learn initiative. So this is a, an interesting kind of extension of that, of bringing Internet to people in the place where they already are. So, yeah, right. chances if you don't have Internet at home, you may also not be able to afford a $2,000 washer and dryer for your house. So you may be going to the laundromat. Right. Um, and and so bringing that that Internet service, because you're going to be hanging out there for a while, right. uh, makes a lot of sense. So share a little bit more about this initiative and where, if you're in San Antonio, uh, you could figure out which laundromats may have uh, this service and stuff up and going now. Yeah, so um, Libraries Without Borders, as I mentioned, um, you know, before the break, is an international nonprofit focused on expanding literacy. Um, they partnered a while ago uh, with the Coin Laundry Association uh, to really examine and pilot a, a project in which um, literacy services and now digital inclusion services were extended to customers. Uh, the unique thing about laundry mats as sort of a site for these services is that, you know, they're open late. They're open early. Yeah, some of them um, are open 24-7. It, it, it takes a while to do your laundry, right? Like, to your point, you have a bit of a captive audience in that in that respect. Um, lots of times people take their kids or family members to get this done. And if you aren't bringing things for them to do, it can be a bit of a boring experience. And so uh, after launching in places like Baltimore and Minneapolis, um, Google Fiber uh, was fairly impressed with some of the outcomes and wanted to bring that program to one of our markets. And we decided on San Antonio as, a, as, a, as an interesting and as a good place to pilot this as a partner for our business. So essentially, the Wash and Learn initiative uh, includes the installation of digital kiosks um, in select laundry mats within a specific market. Currently, this pilot uh, involves two laundry mats, but we're looking at scaling those. The official launch was a couple of weeks ago on October 18th. Um, it includes programming partners. So uh, the funding that we provided to Libraries Without Borders for this project essentially sponsors a uh, the salary of a local project coordinator. So there's an amazing local project coordinator. Her name's Elisa Alvarenga. She's from San Antonio. She actually used to work at the bibliotheque and do programming there. Um, and so she's facilitating a lot of the programming bringing and recruiting partners to come to the table. And when I say partners, I actually mean organizations or entities that are interested in extending their programming to customers at these sites, right? So two of the main programming partners currently are the San Antonio Public Library and the Bear County Bibliotheque. Um, which, you know, they bring their own approaches to this issue. Yes. They obviously have their own branches. The idea, what is unique about this partnership is, you know, we're not looking to replace those, obviously. For me, it's a yes and solution, right? Yes, we still need brick and mortar sure. locations, but what are sort of the creative, other creative places that we can meet folks at that for whatever reason are not necessarily visiting one of those facilities, whether it be they work <laughs> during the time that those facilities are open, maybe they don't have transportation to get to those facilities. And so this is an opportunity to really meet folks where they're at. Yeah, well, and, and make them even more productive in the time. Like they're, you're going to be at the laundromat doing laundry for three hours. Uh, so right. this is an opportunity to be more productive while there. So even just from an hours of the day perspective. Right. And, and you know, I'd say we're addressing uh, multiple issues at once, right? So not only, you know, aside from maybe the internet access and the kiosk, you know, if you, I invite you and folks from your team to actually go take a look. There's, they're both uh, on the west side of San Antonio. One's on uh, sort of the northwest side of Calabria Road in District 6. 
The other one is in City Council District 7 off St. Cloud. Um, you know, you can do web browsing. There's a free, um, there's access to MOOCs. Um, there is um, Apprendi's, the software that's used. And so there's different things you can do. Browsing is not necessarily limited. Um, you know, you can check your email and things like that. But the goal is to also schedule programming partners so that, you know, perhaps when you're doing laundry, there is a librarian or a staff member from the bibliotheque who's actually leading programming, right? And maybe leading a workshop that your child is participating in. Because the other thing that we want to tackle, which is actually at the core of what Libraries Without Borders focuses on, is literacy. Yeah. And we know that that is another issue um, that impacts San Antonio. We have sort of this outsized um portion of san antonio that is sort of technically illiterate and so this program really sort of twofold aims to address both of those things well that's uh great to see so if folks wanted to find out more uh about this where should they go online yeah, so uh, Wally, you can Google Wally, the Wash and Learn Initiative. It, it will come up. Um, if you're a partner, and, and to give an idea of partners, you don't necessarily need to be a, a literacy partner, right? This isn't only for, for example, the, the each one teach ones uh, yeah. of the city. Uh, we're actually looking for partners who are also interested in reaching communities that maybe are not their natural sort of audience. Uh, so, for example, we have a census that just launched. This is really important. There's a lot of misinformation out there I think for for folks about what it means to actually participate in the census uh, who who that information is shared with Uh, so we're working to bring to the census to the table to to provide education to to residents about why it's important to complete that move Texas um, Planned Parenthood other organizations that really just want to expand the audience that they're reaching and so if you're uh, an organization that is interested in um and participating in this and, and bringing your programming, um, I really would suggest that you email Lisa um, and her email address, San Antonio at libraryswithoutborders.us. So that is the email. It's a catch-all email address for anyone who's interested in learning more, not only about where our locations are, um, but also, again, if, you, if you'd like to get involved from a, from a programming perspective, the door is open. And to make a couple of other plugs while we're on the subject, yes. uh, we need books. The program needs books. Um, That is a fundamental part of this. We'd love to include a children's library in both sites, but also an adult adult version of that. Bibliotech does a lot of um, outreach around their program. Really, all you need to access the bibliotech, or actually, SAPL has an online, free online database of free of, of, of books and and resources you know you really only need a smartphone to to access both of those um but in addition to that we would love to have hard copies of books and so yeah. if you are interested in donating books if you want to host a book drive um hint hint jungle disc <laughs> uh, <laughs> or maybe other yes. folks in the in the ran building too to start a campaign um then also please email this because that that is something we're going to need because we've started at these two sites but the goal is to scale them out to to other sites as well and um you know i don't personally you know libraries without borders obviously this is the partnership that they've invested in but uh i would love to see this in in other places right we have not only do we have a a lot of laundry mats in san antonio um but we have fruterias for example right we have things that are very uniquely san antonio that i think with a little bit of effort and funding um could also be transformed to, to provide similar services you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and we're talking all about uh, Google Fiber and uh, some all of the other things going on in the San Antonio market. And I think this uh, applies to San Antonio, but uh, many cities in, in across the U.S., and especially if you get out into more rural towns and cities, those cities that are 
25,000 to 100,000 people all over face uh, many of the same challenges that that some of the areas of San Antonio um, as a major metro face. And uh, this is one if, if we uh, don't solve this, we're going to continue to see further problems between this urban and rural divide and between the affluent neighborhoods and, and, and inaffluent neighborhood uh, divides. And if we really want to grow this country, we want to grow our economy, we want to uh, do all the things uh, to uh, increase productivity and, and increase opportunity, uh, internet access is something now, and high-speed internet access is something that is as fundamental as electricity and water. Um, it's just is a listener out there if you you think about this and um, I'm on a soapbox on this on a regular basis uh, regular uh, basis on the program here imagine doing homework now as a kid without access to the internet like it just it doesn't work or like your life gets much more complicated I mean we were talking um, like I'm aware of taught they're talking to some high school students that they uh, literally have they have a bus pass and because mm-hmm. via our public transit here in San Antonio has air conditioning and internet access on it, they will ride around on the bus in order to do their homework. So imagine that your kids needed to ride around on the bus for two hours in the evening in order to be able to get their homework done. I mean, it's just that it, this is the kind of challenges that some of these folks are having to overcome to get to where many of us just kind of take life for granted. And just to get into the utility piece, because, um, you know, we, we say that a lot, and I hear that from a lot of digital inclusion advocates, especially here in San Antonio. Um, and it's, I think, become part more of the mainstream where people are starting to talk about the Internet as a utility, right? Like you mentioned, water yeah. and electricity. I think it's important to clarify the why in that. And yes. that is because of early decisions in the early 2000s, public policy decisions that essentially deregulated broadband and separated broadband out from sort of a traditional communication service. Yeah, on your, on your yeah. telephone bill, there may be a universal access fee that mm-hmm. you have on there, but th- that's just to provide dial tone phone line to houses in rural areas. It does not allow for funding specifically to provide internet and especially not high-speed internet. Right, and, uh, and some folks will argue, you know, that that was a, a great thing. It led to innovation. It led to a lot of the products and services now that we sort of come to depend on. Um, But the flip side of that is that it also provided um, a lot less incentive and a lot more freedom for internet service providers, cable providers to, um, I don't want to say pick and choose, but to really focus in on certain populations in terms of where they serve. So I think that distinction is important because, um, you know, we can say that, but we, and for the United States, we, we, I think it's important to also get into the why and that this yeah. is, this was essentially a public policy decision. It's not, a, there's not a technical reason internet can't be provided anywhere. Uh, it is really just a matter of what is the regulatory structure um, of your community, of your state, because that will definitely influence the sort of solutions that are available for your community. Yeah, uh, this is a, an interesting one. I think we're going to continue to see uh, some evolution in this. We have companies um, such as, as SpaceX uh, maybe launching a whole satellite mesh um, that's going to allow people to have internet access everywhere. Lots of uh, evolution coming in this market. So uh, hopefully, I think as we're looking back a decade from now, High-speed internet is available to everyone, everywhere in the world at an affordable price. Thank you very much for joining us on CyberTalk Radio.